When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Exodus 32, 1 through 14, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pebbles. And thank you all for being with us today at River Oaks. It is so good to see you, uh, many of you back in person, and welcome also to those of you joining us online. Great to have you with us today. Uh, this is Promotion Sunday in the church. As schools are starting back, and um, some have already transitioned into a new school year. Others will tomorrow. This is the day that those from middle school move into high school, those from Kids Rock move into middle school, those from Noah's, Rock, uh, Noah's Ark into Kids Rock. So if you're relatively new to our church and you've not been involved in one of our children's ministries like Kids Rock or middle school or high school youth, this is a great time to start. And there will be an orientation here in the sanctuary at 3.30 for new middle school students, sixth graders who are transitioning into youth. So hope you will uh, take advantage of that. We've been talking about questions this summer. Uh, looking at a variety of questions in as much as we can try to address those from Scripture. And today we're going to talk about prayer. If God is in control of things, why pray? If God already knows everything, why pray? 
But before we do, I want to ask you to take a look just for a moment at what we call our vision frame. You'll see it on the screen. I like to think of our vision frame as a window frame through which you look into the future. And in the future, we envision what we call our vision 2025. That's not very far away now, uh, just three years uh, from this time. But I want to call your attention today to the left side of the frame, the values, and in particular, the second one, prayer-fueled. We recognize that if our vision 2025 is to become a reality, it is going to require a great work of the Holy Spirit. And great works of the Holy Spirit, it seems, only come about when there is much prayer. God moves in power when his people pray. The marks at the top of the frame are expressions of the values being lived out in the lives of God's people. God calls each one of us who knows Jesus to be devoted to prayer. And so with that in mind, I'd like to approach the question that we're going to consider today. If God is in control of things, why do we need to pray? Why does he expect us to pray? If God already knows what's going to happen, why should we pray? If God's in control, why pray? We're going to look at the life of Moses this morning. Pebbles read a passage for us from Exodus 32 out of the life of Moses. And if you're familiar with Moses, you may know that Moses was a prince in Egypt. He was adopted as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And things were going quite well for Moses until he took matters into his hands one day and he struck down and killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. And of course, Moses knew that he was of Hebrew parents. After this, uh, Moses had to flee into the wilderness. And years later, God appointed him to be his chosen one to go back into Egypt and to lead the slaves out of their bondage in Egypt. Moses would then be the great leader of the hundreds of thousands of Hebrews. Though Moses was a reluctant leader, he felt he was ill-equipped. He was the one God chose. Moses would also be the great lawgiver, the one to whom God would give the laws like the Ten Commandments to then give to the people. But Moses, as I mentioned, was a reluctant leader, and the Hebrews were not easy people to lead. Moses felt ill-equipped for his job, but Moses grew. As we follow his life in the book of Exodus, we can see Moses growing and maturing, not because of his, his great inherent capabilities and qualities, but rather Moses grew in his knowledge of God and his love for God. Moses grew is a man of prayer. In fact, I think Moses is one of the greatest examples of intercessory prayer that we have in the Bible. So I'd like to, to explore his life today as we consider the question, if God's in control, why pray? First of all, because prayer is fellowship with God. Prayer is much more than just asking God for things. Prayer is communion with God fellowship with God, and God created us for this. 
we read these words about Moses in chapter 33 of Exodus. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and worship each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. I think that's remarkable. Perhaps the most important reason to pray is not to get God to do things for you, but to get to know God better. And it seemed that this was happening with Moses. God created us to know him and enjoy his fellowship. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. This is why he created us. And prayer is an expression of our fellowship. It's our communion with God, our communication with God. Some of you are married as I look around the room, and we all who are married know that without communication, that relationship deteriorates. It suffers. God has designed us for communion with himself and communication with himself, and perhaps above all other things, prayer is fellowship with God. We begin to do more than just ask God for other things when we learn to pray and enjoy his presence. We, we thank him. We worship him. We seek to know him better and love him more. And we grow in our joy for God's presence. Prayer is fellowship. Furthermore, prayer is partnership. Partnership in God's work. God has chosen, he's chosen to use our prayers to bring about his purposes. He doesn't have to do that, but God has chosen to do that. He lets us be part of his great eternal work by praying. It's like God adopts us to himself and then, and then he gives us roles in the family business. God could get his work done without us, without our prayers, but he's chosen to use our prayers to bring about his purposes in the earth. It's like the dad who is moving books down from a, a, a second story of his house to a new location for his library in the basement. And he had hundreds of books to move down to the basement, and he was taking big armloads, and his four-year-old daughter, his little girl, saw what daddy was doing, and she wanted to help. And so she began. They'd load her up with two or three light books, and she'd start down the steps, and they'd slip out of her hands and go sliding down the steps, and dad's task was taking longer than he anticipated until finally... He picked up his little girl and put the books in her arms and carried her down the steps. And they moved the books together. It's kind of like that with us in doing God's work, evangelizing, spreading the gospel to the world. God doesn't have to depend on us. He could get angels to do it. But he allows us to participate in his work. And one of the ways we partner with God is in prayer. 
we have a remarkable example of Moses entering into the work God was going to do and wanted to do and fulfilling a role as an intercessor in Exodus chapter 32. This is the passage Pebbles read from just a moment ago in which while Moses was on the mountain with God and he'd been there a long time, the Israelites with Aaron's oversight, made a golden calf, and they began to worship it. The Israelites, the Hebrews, were, were, were accustomed to being part of a culture where idols were worshipped. And um, they turned pretty quickly from Moses' guidance to begin worshipping a golden calf. And so in verse 7 of Exodus 32, the Lord says to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. And then in verse 10, God says to Moses, Now let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But what does Moses do? But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? I think that's interesting. A moment ago, God said to Moses, your people you brought up, and now Moses is reasoning with God and said, Lord, they're your people whom you brought up. Moses continues, <clears throat> why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham? Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I promise I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Amazing. Moses is reasoning with God, one man standing on behalf of an entire nation of disobedient and idolatrous people, Moses is interceding. He's appealing to God's honor. What would the Egyptians say if you did this? He's appealing to God's word. Remember what you swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. And God relents. It's remarkable. One man praying and an entire nation spared. Years later, this prayer of Moses, this intercessory prayer was so significant that the writer of Psalm 106 recounts it with the words that you'll see on the screen. Psalm 106 and verse 19 is recalling what happened during this time uh, we just read about in Exodus. They made a calf in Oreb and worshipped a golden, Im a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him, to turn away his wrath from destroying them. What does it mean that he stood in the breach? Well, we just saw what it means. It means he prayed. He stood before God. He appealed to God's honor. He relied upon God's promises, his word, 
and God didn't destroy the people. Moses entered in to partnership with God. God was allowing Moses to intercede. But was it God's will to really wipe out and destroy all the Israelites then? No. God had promised to bring the Messiah through them. And Moses, through his intercessory prayer, was becoming a part of God's purposes. God is looking for people who know him and will intercede for other people that his purposes might be brought about in their lives. There's a very sad commentary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. You'll see that on the screen as well. When God says, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and extorted from the sojourner without justice. And I sought for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. In other words, I was looking for a person like Moses who would stand and intercede, stand in the breach for my work to be done in this land. But I found none. May that never be said about our land, our nation. By prayer, we enter into partnership with God in work he wants to do. God has chosen to use our prayers to advance his kingdom. And so I would ask you this morning, who might God be calling you to pray for, to stand in the breach for, to intercede for? If you're married, you're definitely called to be praying for your, your spouse and for your marriage. If you've got kids, you're definitely called to be an intercessor for your children. I think God puts us in families and makes us intercessors in our family networks, puts us in neighborhoods to pray for our neighbors, puts us in places of employment to pray for the people we work with, that God's Spirit will work in power in those areas. If God's in control, why should we pray? Because prayer is fellowship with God. It's a way of enjoying His presence. But it's also entering into partnership with Him. Finding a significant role in the unfolding of His purposes in the earth. Thirdly, if God's in control, why pray? And I think this is something that I have not thought about enough, and perhaps you haven't either. It's because God changes us as we pray. God changes us as we pray. Notice this passage about Moses in Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. That is, he'd been, he'd been praying and his face was shining. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. 
And when Moses had finished speaking with him, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, that is, his times of prayer, he'd remove the veil. He was experiencing the presence of the glory of God until he came out. And when he came out, he told the people of Israel what he was commanded. Moses was actually visibly changed by his time in prayer. He literally reflected the glory of God after speaking with the Lord. But I think Moses was also changed inwardly by his fellowship with God. And the reason I say that is that Moses was not a meek man when he first left Egypt. He was volatile enough to to see an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and go up and strike him down and kill him and hide his body, murder the man. He had to flee from Egypt. That was the Moses who left Egypt. But years later, Moses, the man of prayer, the man who spent hours and days and nights on the mountain with God, the man who went into the tent when the glory of God descended, the man whose face shone, Years later, Moses was this kind of man, as we see in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he'd married. By the way, Cushite woman was a woman of another race. Miriam and Aaron did not like that, but God did not like Miriam and Aaron's point of view. And Miriam was struck with leprosy as a result. For he'd married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Is he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And we have this little aside that I think is worth noting. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. By the time we get to this account in the book of Numbers, Moses had changed. Moses, the intercessor, Moses, the man of prayer, the man who enjoyed God's presence, the man whose face shone, he was changed. And I believe this. I think God has a great desire to change each one of us. Here in in, in this life, I'm not talking about waiting until we get to heaven, but here and now, God has a vision for what he wants our lives as followers of Jesus to become. And I'm speaking now of those who have embraced Jesus' salvation, who know him as Savior and Lord. God has a clear vision for your spiritual growth. And he speaks of it in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, where we read that God has predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. So as a follower of Jesus, God doesn't want you conformed to this world. God wants your life to be made more like that of Christ. Conformed to the likeness of his son, the image and likeness of Jesus. I think it's good to ask ourselves from time to time, how is that going in my life? Am I becoming more like Jesus as time goes by? As the Holy Spirit works in me, as God changes me. And I would say to you that I really believe 
much of that change occurs as we spend time with God in prayer. I think the work God wants to do in each of us is far more important than we realize. We tend to think the work we do for God is the most important thing. But I think God is more concerned with the work he's doing in us, the person he's making us to be. Dallas Willard wrote the words you'll see on the screen. Dallas Willard, great teacher of spiritual formation. He wrote, the main thing God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish. It's the person you become. It's the person you become. Said another way, God is more concerned with the work he's doing in you than the work you're doing for him. This is God's great desire to change us. And I do believe he's more concerned with conforming us to the likeness of Jesus than all that we try to do for him, important though it may be. And God's work in us progresses as we are more fully devoted to fellowship with him in prayer. So if God is in control, if God knows all things, why do we need to pray? Prayer is our fellowship with God. We can grow to enjoy God's presence in prayer. Through prayer, we enter into partnership with God. God lets us be part of carrying the books down the stairs, part of fulfilling his purposes. But thirdly, God changes us as we pray. Prayer changes us. We often say prayer changes things, but prayer changes us if we pray. Then related to this, finally, because God strengthens us to do his will as we pray. Moses is praying in Exodus 33 again, and he says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. That is, I'm supposed to lead all these hundreds of thousands of Hebrews. But you've not let me know by whom you'll send, uh, whom you'll send with me. In other words, this is a daunting task. I can't do it. I don't know how it's going to be done. You're, you've not told me who you're going to send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I've found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, that is, the Lord said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And that's what Moses needed to hear. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses knew he could only fulfill his calling if God's presence was with him. And in a time of prayer, Moses was assured and strengthened with the knowledge that God would go with him, would be with him. He arose from prayer, strengthened to go and do what God called him to do. I mentioned that Moses was a great, great example of prayer, a great intercessor, a great man of prayer. And I do believe he was. But Jesus was far, far 
far greater. In fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this about Jesus. Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Jesus was also a man of prayer. He was also an intercessor. He prayed for his disciples. He told Peter, I've prayed for you. Satan wanted to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus was a prayer if we follow his life in the Gospels. And so it's no surprise that we find Jesus at the most difficult point of his life in prayer in a garden called Gethsemane. And we read these words in Luke chapter 22 about Christ. Jesus was soon to go to the cross <clears throat> and he came out and went as was his custom. So apparently he went here to pray a lot. As was his custom to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus' agony there was not, I don't believe, the anticipation of the physical pain of crucifixion, horrible as that would be. I think his agony was the knowledge that he would shortly bear upon his own sinless shoulders the weight of the sin of the entire world. What that would have been like for the sinless Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, we cannot fathom. But he was agonizing in prayer, and he said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup, this cup of suffering, be taken away. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appears strengthening him. There are two things that I think are significant in Jesus' prayer here. Number one, we learn that in prayer, often we align our will with the will of God. Secondly, in prayer, we can be strengthened to do that will. I think it's interesting that both these things happened, uh, not only with Moses, but also with Christ before he went to the cross. So Jesus arose from prayer, strengthened, and ready to face the cross. So back to our question, why should you pray? What's the use of praying, learning how to pray, learning how to pray? Two weeks from today, when we get back into the Gospel of Luke, Pastor David Holcomb will start us off with a message that will deal with how to pray on September the 11th. I hope you'll be here that day. But again, prayer is fellowship with God. Prayer is partnership with God. God's chosen to use our prayers in uh, the unfolding of his work. God calls us to be intercessors for people that he might work in their lives. God changes us as we pray. 
And God strengthens us to do his will as we pray. So I have three questions by way of personal application as we prepare to close. Number one, have I understood prayer is a way to enjoy fellowship with God? Do you think of prayer as just a duty? Oh, I've got to say, say our prayers before a meal or before bedtime. I've got to say my prayers and ask God for some things. Ask God for this, this, this. Maybe the Lord would, would help us begin to understand that it's much, much more than that. It's fellowship with God. It's communion with God. In what situations might God be calling me to partnership in prayer? Family member? Somebody in your neighborhood? Difficult work environment? Sometimes a person will say, oh, I just, I have such a difficult manager, such a difficult work situation. I would love to get out of there. I'd say, wait a minute, did you pray about that job before you went? Do you think God provided that job and led you there? Don't leave too quickly. God may have put you there to be an intercessor. If not you, who is praying for all those hard to get along with people? If not you, who? Thirdly, devote some time this week just to quiet waiting upon God in prayer, asking him to change you and strengthen you to do his will. Don't be too quick to always and only be asking God for things. Look to see what God wants to be doing in you to change you as you pray, as you wait to see prayer answered, perhaps for months and even years waiting. Don't feel like you've always got to be doing things for the Lord. Let him do the needed work in you. And I'll say it again. I think God is more concerned with the work he's doing in you than the work you're doing for him. Finally, I want to recommend a book to you. And it's a book that deals with prayer uh, in terms of particularly looking at what God is doing in us as we are praying. Paul Miller is the author of A Praying Life. One of his lines in the book is this, when we don't receive what we pray for or desire, it doesn't mean God isn't acting on our behalf. Rather, he's weaving his story. Watch for the story God's weaving in your life. So there's a great emphasis in this particular book on how God changes us, changes us as we pray and as we wait on prayer, as we wait on him in prayer. Would you join me now as we pray? Father, we pray now in the name of our Lord Jesus. And I pray for a deeper work of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. I pray, Lord, that your vision for each of us individually would be fulfilled, that we would be more fully conformed to the likeness of Jesus, that you would do that great work in us, and Lord, I pray you teach us how to pray. Teach us to seek you, to enjoy your fellowship, your presence. Show us the people around us, Father, who need your work in their lives. Call us as intercessors. Make us like Moses. Make us like Jesus. Father, change us as we pray. 
We wait in your presence right now, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit shape us, show us what you want to be doing in our lives. And strengthen us. Strengthen us with power by your Holy Spirit. It may be that you're here today and you are not sure whether if you died today you'd go to heaven because you don't know for sure you're a Christian. I don't want to say to you that you can know for certain. It involves acknowledging that Jesus Christ paid the price for your salvation on the cross. That he was raised from the dead to give you eternal life. You must acknowledge your sin and repent of it. Turn to him, Christ Jesus, as your Lord. And if you will call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you shall be saved. And so I'd invite you right where you are to say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Make me your devoted follower right now. And perhaps every one of us could pray right now. Lord, make me a person of prayer. Teach me to pray. Teach me to enjoy your presence in prayer. We ask this in that great name above all other names. The only name we praise, the name of our King of Kings, the King of Kings, our King, our Lord, our Savior Jesus.